Hi guys, welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I am Jennifer and this is episode 16. Dating update. So I told you guys, I think a couple of weeks ago that my subscription was about to expire and that I was not going to renew. Well, I decided to renew for another month. I, I honestly don't know why. I mean, it's not as if it's producing anything um, that's done now. So 30 days. We'll see what happens. I, I don't know if I'll renew again after that. I, I guess we'll see. Anyway, like I said, so far, there isn't really much to say. Again, just talking to a few guys on the app, but that's about it. Is anyone getting as tired of this as I am? I mean, I, I'm not sure if there's anything more I can do. You know, I mean, I'm putting myself out there. I'm engaging. I, you know, if someone sends me a message, I respond. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've met some people. I've gone on some dates and that's it. Nothing else. Nothing beyond one date. So, <sighs> yeah, you know, and then it's not like I'm meeting anybody anywhere else. I mean, it's COVID. Nobody's going anywhere. We're all staying home. And I'm not going to date anybody at work. So uh, I don't think that ever works out well. So this is pretty much my only option. We shall see if it produces anything. Okay. TV recommendations. So as I said, there were some new shows coming on HBO Max that I wanted to check out before I mentioned them to you. One of them is a new docuseries. It's called Murder and Middle Beach. And it's about a son who is trying to figure out what happened to his mom. She was murdered back in 2010 and the killer was never found. So the docuseries, like I said, it's the son. He's actually like the uh, the one making the series as well as the narrator, he, you know, the interviewer. Um, and it takes kind of takes place over eight years because he he starts it and then stops because it just gets to you know, too heavy, too hard, you know. So he takes a break, he ends up, I think, finishing school, and then he kind of gets back to it. Um, he, he was only 18 when his mom was murdered. And he interviews uh, people. It's only one episode so far. Um, I think there's four total. And, you know, he's interviewing like his grandma, his aunts, um, his mom's friends, like just to kind of get a sense of, um, who his mom was at the time that she died, you know, what, what she was going through. And after one episode, and I'm, I'm sure this is where the series is kind of leading me, but I have my own theories and I'm, you probably will too, if you should decide to watch it, but it is good so far. Like I said, it's only one episode in and only four total. So I don't feel like if it turns out to just be kind of mediocre, it's only four episodes, you know, it's not like you wasted 10 weeks. But so far, so good. Now, there is another show. And I cannot remember the name of it right now. But I haven't watched it yet. Another new one on HBO Max, if it turns out to be as good as from as what I'm seeing from previews, I'll let you know. 
The other thing I've been watching this week is old musicals. I think I just needed a little, little joy this week. And, you know, while kind of searching through HBO, I found a bunch of them. So the other night I had kind of a Gene Kelly marathon. I watched Anchors Away, An American in Paris, and On the Town. An American in Paris is one of my dad's favorites, and Anchors Away has my favorite Gene Kelly scene where he dances with cartoon Jerry from Tom and Jerry. I just love that. I remember as a kid watching that scene, I just could not understand how they got a real person and a cartoon in the same scene, you know, like perfectly choreographed and synced. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I was just amazed by it. I love that scene. I love Jane Kelly. Again, that's my dad's influence. But, you know, in watching Anchors Away and On the Town, I was really impressed by Frank Sinatra. I mean, everybody knows he can sing. You know, that's no surprise. But he had to dance alongside Gene Kelly. That had to have been intimidating. And I remember reading somewhere that Gene Kelly was kind of a perfectionist. He was very demanding with his co-stars. He kind of wanted like a one and done and he wanted everything to be right the first time. Um, Debbie Reynolds, I think, once said something along the lines of um, the two hardest things she ever did was give birth and singing in the rain. So, but from what I've read about Debbie Reynolds, she wasn't exactly the easiest person to work with either. So it could have been just a clashing of personalities. I don't care. I, I love Gene Kelly. You know, if he was a perfectionist, what you got was the results on the screen and it was perfection. He's amazing. And he makes me happy. So, and he did the other night as I watched six hours of Gene Kelly movies. So also, I just wanted to mention real quick, I have a podcast recommendation for any of you murderinos out there. Um, It's called House of Broken Dreams. This is actually season two. I tried to find season one. I couldn't find it. I don't know if maybe it's no longer available on like the uh, podcast platforms. Maybe if I went to a website or something, I could probably find it. But anyway, Season two is about 24-year-old Jennifer Kessie, who went missing back in January 2006. She um, had spent the weekend with her boyfriend in, I believe, Tampa, drove back to Orlando where she worked and lived and never made it to work on Monday morning. Um, This case was mishandled from the beginning the Orlando Police Department did not take her disappearance seriously, so they really didn't put any effort in in the beginning. Um, and then, of course, there's a, a lot of other things going on. Like Jennifer had recently purchased a condo. She had only been living in it for two months at the time when she disappeared. And the condo property was actually switching over from apartments to condo. So there's a lot of maintenance crew there pretty much 24 seven doing all these upgrades and renovations. And she had told her family and her boyfriend on, on several different occasions that the, the guys on the maintenance crew creeped her out. She felt like she was being watched. She felt um, very uncomfortable around them. In fact, to the point where anytime any work had to be done in her home, she would make sure she was on the phone with somebody the entire time because she was very nervous about it. 
And there were other incidents that happened at this property too. No, no one else disappeared, but other women who complained to property management that, um, you know, they felt that, that the maintenance crew was creepy. You know, there was one woman who um, would come home and find like, you know, big footprints in her carpet, like clearly not hers. And she lived alone. Uh, another time she came home and found like a package of beef jerky opened and a can of soda missing from her fridge. And like very bizarre incidents that property management never followed up on, cops never followed up on. But this is a, this was an interesting story. The podcast itself is 10 episodes and they're not very long. I think they're around anywhere from 20 minutes to 35 minutes each episode. I was able to listen to the entire season in a weekend. It's really good. Um, so if you like that kind of thing, like like I do, if you're a murderino, look for season two of House of Broken Dreams, the Jennifer Kessie story. I liked it. I think you will too. All right, now that you're all caught up on my week, let's get into this week's topic. We're back. So this week, as I said, I have been watching a lot of old musicals. I also may have already snuck in a few Hallmark movies. I usually wait until after Thanksgiving to watch these, but, you know, as I said, I needed some joy this week, and these movies do that for me. And they actually may not have been Hallmark movies, but, you know, they're all the same kind of same formula, whether they're made by Hallmark or Lifetime or whatever. Y'all know the storyline. It's like businesswoman somehow ends up in a small town, falls in love with the with the local lumberjack. Or sometimes it's the opposite. Uh, you know, the male is like the cold-hearted CEO, again, somehow ends up in a small town and falls in love with like the local florist. And they all end the same way too, right? Girl gets the guy, happily ever after. That's why I watch them. I mean, that's probably why... Everyone who loves them watches them. That and, well, that and the cheese factor. But I am a sucker for Happily Ever After. And with these movies that they make that targets women and even young girls, because when you think about it, go all the way back to fairy tales, it's no wonder. We were raised on Happily Ever After. So if a woman grows up believing that she will find her Prince Charming, is that really a surprise to anyone? Or, you know, her soulmate? You can have your ideas on whether or not soulmates exist. I do believe in them. I just don't think they have to be your romantic partner. For me, my soulmate is my best friend. You know, we connect on a level that I don't have with anyone else in my life. They are my soulmate. I think it's nice to still believe in this idea of happily ever after to some extent, but can believing in it be holding me back? Now, it's true, my marriage didn't work out, but when I got married, I thought for sure that would be it. We would be together forever. I would not have gotten married if I didn't think it was going to be forever. And it didn't work out, but I still believe that someday I will find someone who I will spend the rest of my life with. But is this a realistic expectation? 
All of these movies, and like I said, even fairy tales, taught girls from a very young age that all it takes is for a man to fall in love with us and our life will be perfect. As adults, we know that this is not reality. We are told daily that if we need saving, we can and should save our own damn self. But the idea still persists, that a kiss from the right person will fix everything. All of my favorite movies end with the girl getting the guy. You've got Mail, When Harry Met Sally, While You Were Sleeping, Serendipity. You know, basically all of the romantic comedies from like the mid to late 90s and early 2000s. They're all the same, you know, much like those Hallmark movies. They all have the same basic plot, right? And it works. I mean, they made pretty much the same movie for a decade. If you can believe it, there have been actual scientific studies done on this idea of whether or not romantic comedies affect how women view relationships. And the results seem to be split. Some of them, some of the studies show that, yes, they do. They actually cause unrealistic expectations, while other studies show that it has little to no effect on how women view real-life relationships. These women understand that it's a movie and they're able to separate that from their real-life expectations. But still, the genre is very popular. The formula obviously works. And it makes me wonder if this idea of happily ever after is also affecting how I view the dating app. And you guys know that's how I met the last person I was with for six years, and that worked out fine until it didn't, but there is still a part of me that feels like the dating app is kind of like a shortcut, you know, like, like I'm cheating my way into a relationship, right? I don't know. It almost feels like I'm skipping steps if I'm not you know, meeting someone by chance or fate or destiny, you know, running into the love of my life at the supermarket or the theater. Hmm? Again, there's that influence from the rom-coms. But it, it does feel a little bit like cheating, you know, like, like I'm shortcutting steps when I'm using the dating app. I don't know why I feel this way, but it does make me wonder if feeling this way is preventing me from actually meeting someone on the app that will go beyond one date. I want to meet someone who will woo me, who will put in the effort to get to know me, where we take our time getting to know each other. But I'm starting to think that I'm not going to find that on the dating app. It seems like the guys that I meet kind of also are viewing the app as a cheat, but not in the negative way I'm thinking of it. You know, they're kind of looking at it like, oh, we can just push past the awkward getting to know you phase and jump right into the relationship phase, you know? And because I'm not there, maybe that's what's holding it back. So far, as you know, I have not been able to progress beyond one date with anyone that I have met on the app. So obviously, I blame myself for this, right? I am the common denominator here. You know, maybe once they meet me in real life, they realize they don't really like me. 
And even when it seems like the date has gone well, it hasn't gone beyond that one date. So that can only lead me to one conclusion. It has to be me. And I can accept that. But if that's the case, how do I change it? I mean, I am following everyone's advice and, you know, just being myself. Okay, so I, I'm even actually accurately representing myself on the app. You know, I'm, I'm not pretending to be something that I'm not. I'm not lying about my weight. I'm using current photos. I, you know, it's a pretty accurate representation of me, I think. We will text for a while. It seems like we're connecting, like there's some sort of attraction, and then they meet me in person, and it doesn't go beyond that. So either I'm not translating well from paper to in person, or, you know, when they see me, they just realize I'm not as attractive as they thought. I don't know. There will be people in my life who immediately say something like, no, it's not you. You just haven't met the right person yet. And maybe that's true. But this string of non-starters, it's starting to get to me. I'm not going to lie about it. But back to my original thought. If my expectations are based on the romantic comedies I was raised on, how do I manage those expectations in real life? One thing I know is that not everyone expresses their love in the same way. I told you guys in previous episode that I prefer to show you that I love you as opposed to saying it. So if I'm with someone who needs to hear those words, I'm not going to be a good match for them. And it goes both ways. I also like acts of service as forms of validation as opposed to words. So if someone is showering me with compliments, that isn't going to work for me either. So I did some research. And I, you know, put some thought into it. And here's what I came up with. First, obviously, I need to manage my expectations. I found an article in Psychology Today that suggested making a list of all of my expectations, no matter how unlikely they seemed. You know, everything that I would want in a a real life partner. So... I made my list of all the things that I wanted, and it included things like communicates and listens, taller than me, attractive, romantic and likes to show it, sexual chemistry and compatibility, enjoys nights in as much as nights out, shared interests, but also has their own interests because time apart is good in any relationship, doesn't get jealous, but appreciates what he has, confident, willing to compromise, not a yeller, and someone who likes to give small gifts or, you know, perform acts of service for no reason or occasion, just because he thought it was something I would like. So I had my list ready, and according to the Psychology Today article, the first step is to cross out anything that seems unrealistic. So (laughs) this first step, I almost didn't get past it because I looked at my list and I thought, well, none of this seems unrealistic to me. You know, there is a part of me that is kind of like I am almost 50. I have had two long term unsuccessful relationships. I kind of feel like I have earned 
everything on this list. I've paid my dues. I know what I want, and I don't want to have to to settle for less, right? I, I mean, you guys tell me, you heard my list. Did any of that seem unrealistic? I mean, I really want to know because, <laughs> as I said, I need to learn to manage my expectations. So I, I don't think they did. But if you have thoughts on that, let me know. So anyway, trying to stick to this article, I took a look at my list, you know, where I had to cross off anything that seemed unrealistic. And I realized that there was one on there that may or may not have required my partner to be a mind reader. And that was the sexual chemistry compatibility. And the reason why I amended this one was because sometimes it's not that you're sexually incompatible. It's, you know, you just need to kind of communicate with each other. And that sometimes is a tough conversation. But if you tell each other, you know, what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, what you like, what you don't like, that's going to just help, right? It's not going to hurt. So I amended that one to, uh, you know, communicate about sexual compatibility, right? Okay, next up. Next up was cutting from the list things that should matter as opposed to what actually does matter. So again, looked over my list and I was like, wait a minute, it all matters. But I realized that my romantic and likes to show it, when I looked at this one a little bit closer, I realized that I don't actually like public shows of romanticism. You know, like watching Patrick serenade David with his version of Simply the Best made my heart swell and my eyes leak. But if my partner did that to me, I would crawl under the table. I would be mortified. So I amended that, you know, so that it included, you know, not public <laughs> displays of romanticism. Then the last step is that you should take a look at your list and redefine want versus need. So again, I looked at my list and I realized that good communicator, listener kind of needed to be clarified or amended because what I really need here is not someone who will just talk. I, I need someone who is willing to talk things through with me. Because as I guess I've told you guys, I sometimes have a hard time verbalizing what I'm feeling. It's kind of like I, I know it all in my head. And you know, it's just kind of sort of a word soup up there. But with a little patience and prodding, I can get there. So if someone is willing to sort of sit with me and talk through what I'm feeling, you know, ask me the right questions, that type of thing, that sort of um, back and forth interaction, that's really what I'm looking for, you know. And I have actually had that with partners in the past, so I know that that is important to me. So I take a look at my, you know, more pared down, more clarified list, and I feel like I'm actually getting somewhere, you know, at least like I have some sort of direction. So now what? The physical attributes are easy enough, but the other stuff, that stuff that takes time to get to know someone, you know, that that takes more than one date. 
understanding that no relationship is perfect, there are some things that I will not compromise on. Like, not a yeller. I grew up with a yeller. I was married to a yeller. Nothing will shut me down faster than if you yell at me. I, I, it makes me feel 10 years old. I, I feel like I have completely lost my ability to speak when I'm yelled at. And not to say that I haven't yelled. I certainly have. But I have to be like pushed to a point beyond no return in order for me to raise my voice. It just doesn't usually happen. I, I will nine times out of 10 just shut down. The next thing I will not compromise on is lazy or not self-sufficient. You know, I mean, I don't want to spend my days cleaning up his messes. And at this point in our lives, you know, presumably he's going to be around the same age as me. If he's lazy or not self-sufficient, that's not something that can be changed. At this point, this is now a lifestyle for him. That is not something I am interested in. And lastly, and this really should go without saying, but I'll say it anyway, poor personal hygiene is obviously a non-starter. I'm not saying you have to put in the hours of commitment that I do, but nothing is more gross to me than unkept hands and feet. I I don't want to see that on a stranger in Walmart. So I certainly don't want to have to look at that on my partner. It's gross. And there's no reason for it, right? You're an adult. You should know these things. Poor personal hygiene. It's absolute no. So taking a look now, back, now that I've been really thinking about these romantic comedies that I've been raised on, that I still love, I do. But when I look at them through today's lens, the storylines are a little problematic. They're usually based on some false pretense. One or both of the people are lying, you know, and then at some point, usually halfway through the movie, the lie is found out. There's an argument. But then, for whatever reason, Neither one of them seem to care that they've been deceived into a relationship and they just end up back together again to live the rest of their lives happily ever after. And one of my favorite movies is a classic example of this. You've got mail. (laughs) Tom Hanks's character, Joe Fox, finds out that the person with whom he has been having an online correspondence, Kathleen Kelly, played by Meg Ryan, is the owner of a small neighborhood bookstore that he is planning on putting out of business. Even after he finds out who she is, he continues to correspond with her, not telling her who he is, you know, and essentially like deceives her into loving him. You know, he he starts like showing up where he knows she will be, you know, and kind of woos her. The only problem is, it's all a lie. But deception be damned, she loves him. So what if her dead mother's beloved bookstore has been forced to close? She's in love. Or what about one of my other favorite movies, While You Were Sleeping? This movie is problematic on a few different levels, but let's start with the obvious. (laughs) What 
starts as a simple misunderstanding is taken to a level that would be considered criminal in real life. She passes herself off as the fiancé of a man in a coma. But not to worry, after lying to his family for months, she ends up finding love with his brother. And perhaps, and this one hurts, guys, perhaps the worst of them all, but still a must-see for me every holiday season, is my beloved Love Actually. Now, this movie has many great aspects of it. Most notably are the Liam Neeson and Laura Linney storylines, and they're great. But let's talk about the Andrew Lincoln, Kira Knightley storyline. First, he treats her like garbage. She, she thinks he hates her, and she feels really bad about this because she's about to marry one of his very best friends. So, you know, he is supposed to film their wedding, and instead, he decides to focus on just her throughout most of the video in what could only be described as creepy close-ups. And she ends up seeing the video and realizing that, oh, he doesn't hate me. He's actually in love with me. And now he knows the secret is out. But instead of just letting go because the woman he is in love with is married to one of his best friends, no, no, he shows up at her home, the home she shares with her new husband, his best friend, and tells her to lie to her new husband to say that it's carol singers at the door. He whips out the boom bop, uh, a la say anything, and proceeds to confess his feelings which have been written down on giant cue cards. And although she is newly married to one of his good friends, she rewards this creepy, stalkerish behavior with a kiss. And she, she actually kind of chases him halfway down the block to stop him and kiss him. Guys, that's just weird. I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, that's not going to be awkward at all when the three of them are together again, right? And let me tell you, when I was about 19, 20, I had a stalker. They're not romantic. They're terrifying. I guess what it comes down to is, like I said, managing my own expectations and realizing that romantic comedies, while they can be fun, I need to just take them for what they are. Fantasy. So I will keep watching them, enjoying every cheesy minute and cheering through tears at the end when the heroine finally gets her happily ever after. I am, after all, a sucker for a happy ending. Oh, guys, just one last note as a total aside. I could not end this week's podcast without mentioning this because, well, you'll hear. So at the very, very bottom of my Gene Kelly rabbit hole, I found Xanadu. Now, I knew this movie existed, but I had never seen it. And so I thought, well, it's... Gene Kelly, it's Olivia Newton-John. How, how bad could it be? Well, it is every bit as bad as you can imagine, but like in the best way possible. Even the legend that is Gene Kelly was not able to salvage this mess. 
So let me just tell you a little bit of the plot line, if I can call it that. So Olivia Newton-John plays a Greek goddess named Kira, obviously, because when you think of Greek goddess, you think blonde, blue-eyed, Australian Olivia Newton-John, who, by the way, does not bother masking her Australian accent in this movie at all. Right? Now, she is a muse sent down to Earth to inspire Gene Kelly's character. He's like a washed up musician, former orchestra leader, and this artist played by Michael Beck, who actually is a really decent actor. I, I don't know. This must have been early on in his career where he would just take anything. She is the muse that is to inspire these two gentlemen to open up a disker, disco roller rink. Ta-da! That's the plot of the movie, right? <laughs> so this is essentially like a disco rollerball musical. And I guess like after the success of both Saturday Night Fever and Grease and, you know, uh, after Grease, Olivia Newton-John came out of there riding high. So I'm sure that there was some studio executive who thought this was going to be like a hit. I'm also sure that the same studio executive was probably fired after this movie. But it is such a weird combination of like 40s themed traditional musical and some strange futuristic, sometimes animated acid trip of a modern day 70s musical. This movie has everything from the completely ridiculous plotline to the really bad acting to the truly confounding costume choice for Olivia Newton-John's character of peasant top, flowy skirts, and leg warmers. Guys, I'm telling you, this thing is gold. And if that wasn't enough, there's an uncredited cameo uh, by Shabadoo as one of the dancers in the big finale, which ends in the most bizarre arrangement of decades and musical genres I have ever seen. It was amazing. (laughs) And just, you know, I feel bad for you if you don't know who Shabadoo is, because that means you haven't seen the classic Breakin' or the epically classic Breakin' 2 Electric Boogaloo. You should check both of those out. Xanadu is currently playing on HBO Max. I highly recommend it to you. (laughs) It's like 95 minutes of just pure bad movie happiness. All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming back to episode 16. Don't forget, join the Facebook group at my so-called Midlife Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at JennyJoy316. If you like the podcast, tell your friends and also tell them to listen. That second part, it's important. Email me at my so-called Midlife Podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Love you. Bye.